You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing positive impact on their city and the world. We know from science that it's, it's, very, it's very doable to help someone become a better innovator, no matter where their starting point is. Innovation is something that everyone seems to be doing at the moment. But what constitutes innovation? Can it be taught? And is there a science and method behind it? Inventium is a niche Melbourne-based consultancy that solely focuses on helping some of the world's largest corporations with creating a culture where innovation thrives. My guest this week is the founder of Inventium and is also a sought-after keynote speaker and author on how we can all bring more creative and innovative thinking to our lives. I'm Adam Murray and thanks for joining me as I talk with Amantha Imber about the subtle disruption of innovative work. Well, yeah, Amantha, really nice to be here. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Do you want to just start by explaining where you picked for our conversation today? Sure. So I've picked Inventium's office. Uh, so we're, we're located in a building that's above Chin Chin on Flinders Lane in, in Melbourne. So one of the restaurants in Melbourne where there's always a queue of uh, at least about 20 or 30 people. So you kind of have to fight through the queue to get out every night. But um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we spent, gosh, probably four or five months looking for an office space that, that we could really redesign and call our own and apply all of our science-based innovation principles to the physical space. And and this space, from from the moment I saw it, it was a big grey shell. It's about 300 square metres, so big, big grey grey shell. And, and when I saw it, I thought, yep, this is the place. So it was literally the day that it, it came on um, the market for lease. And we, after many many weeks of negotiations we snapped it up and did the whole fit out ourselves so yeah yeah some special place for us yeah is so how long ago was that 18 months ago okay so flinders lane i think must be one of the most happening places in melbourne right now there's Mm. so many cool things happening along here and i didn't realize there was some cool businesses in here as well Yeah. yeah definitely definitely um so inventium is the business that you founded Correct? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Inventium and how you actually founded it and why? Yeah, Yeah, sure. So I founded Inventium nine years ago and the, how I got to founding it, I was working in advertising at the time as a consumer psychologist up in Sydney and I lost my passion for that industry and, you know, helping people buy more stuff that they didn't really need. And I knew I wanted to leave, so I gave my boss three months notice, didn't know what I wanted to do. And I thought I just wanted to find another company to work for where I really felt like there was a good cultural fit and where I respected the IP or the intellectual property that I'd be working with. And I probably interviewed for maybe 10 10 different organisations and I just couldn't find anywhere where I felt like there was that match. And at the same time, some of my friends were saying, oh, you should just start your own business, do it yourself. And I'm like, oh, I'm too young, I don't know enough. <laughs> um, and, and, and so starting Inventium was literally the plan B because I couldn't find anywhere that I really wanted to work. Yeah. Um, so that, that's how Inventium came to be. And Inventium is like a management consultancy, but very niche. So all we do is, is help companies around innovation. And uh, MO, if you like, is, is doing that through science. So we're a bunch of science geeks and we're always like looking through the latest uh, academic research into what's been scientifically shown to, to drive innovation, to get to better ideas, to be more successful as a company through growing through innovation. And we make all that academic 
um, research really practical for our clients and we apply that all around the world to some of the biggest companies on the planet. Yeah. Mm. When you say science-based, what type of scientific fields is the innovation research drawn from? Sure, so it's fields um, <clears throat> such as organisational psychology, cognitive science, management science, a uh, bit of neuro psych, uh, they're, they're sort of the, the main fields that we draw from. Yeah, and um, so the people that work here, do they come from all those different fields as well? They do, yeah. so we've got, we've got a few, uh, <clears throat> a few organisational psychologists, uh, engineers, economists, quite a few MBAs, uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite cross-disciplinary here. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Just to, I guess, paint a bit of a picture for what innovation means, it's been a buzzword, I guess, for quite a while now. And, um, you know, I, I came from a technology background myself as well, and we tried to be innovative inside the company. Mm. I think I actually had the role of uh, innovation function lead at one point, but I don't know if I really knew what that meant or even how to go about it. Like, what does innovation actually mean? Uh, so how we define innovation is we say that it's change that adds value. So too often innovation just gets boxed into people thinking it's like the next great gadget, the next iPhone, that kind of thing. But it's such a narrow view of what innovation is and it's quite a, a, an exclusive view as opposed to an inclusive view. So change that adds value really is something that we adopted as our definition to just have something that's very inclusive, that's very um, democratic, if you like. Anyone is capable of making a change. And also making sure that the focus is on adding value as well, because too often people see or define innovation as doing something new or doing something differently. But if that thing that you're doing that's new is not actually adding any value to the world, like whether that be financial or otherwise, then, well, why would you bother? So, um, yeah, that, that's why we adopted that definition. Yeah. And that's... Value, yeah. Can you drill into a little bit more about value as well? Like, because um, sometimes I guess, yeah, the the value is quite a subjective thing. It could be valuable for that business, but that business might not be a value, valuable business for the planet as a whole, for example. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and it's funny because recently we we became a certified B Corp organisation, yeah. which means that we we do take our our social, our environmental, our ethical responsibilities incredibly seriously as a business and we've got very strict ethical boundaries on who we will work with, who we won't. Um, we've knocked back several projects over the years, large projects where we felt like there was not an ethical alignment with what that business was doing and what we wanted to help companies do. So, you know, for example, we we don't work with businesses that are in the tobacco industry. We don't work with um, companies that are in the gambling industry, uh, just, you know, to name a couple of different examples. But for us, it's a question that we always ask when when someone's calling us to ask for help. Yeah. I'd like to dig into the work that you do with bigger corporates in a little bit, but just to start with, I'm interested in how you've built this business and applied some of these principles that you've got in your book, The Innovation Formula, perhaps, or mm. uh, in other areas, but how you've applied them to your own business and how they manifest Yeah, here. Mm. Yeah, sure. Uh, just trying to think of some examples. I think, in general, we, we look at how human resources is approached in organizations and 
and you know we think it's pretty ordinary so I guess that's one area where we're always internally looking to, uh, to innovate or challenge so one thing that that's really important to us and you know whenever we do a staff survey which we do every six months to see how everyone's feeling about everything on sort of a quantitative basis uh, like we've got an incredibly engaged group of people and and most of the team I, I think would say this is the best place they've worked in their life and and it's really important for us that if you work at Inventium like you've, you've got two feet very clearly here on the ground as opposed to you know one, one foot out the door and so something that we started recently is which is, was inspired by what Zappos does uh, they they have this initiative in place I don't know what it's called but when when people start uh, at Zappos they they undergo a training program and, and during that week-long training program they're offered, I think it's like $1,000 to, to leave, just to make sure that they're really committed. But we kind of think, well, no, we want people to make that decision once they have a really good idea of what, what the job's all about, what the culture's all about, what the company's all about. Yeah. So we, we kind of think that it's generally between the two to four month mark for most roles here that that becomes pretty clear. So at that point, um, the person's manager will, will sit down with them and they will talk about what we call deal or no deal. So, uh, which is basically we offer people a month's salary to leave just to make sure that the people that are here are, have made a deliberate choice to be here. So for us, that's something that we do differently. I haven't, haven't heard of any other companies <laughs> doing that, but um, it's, it works really well for us. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. have you had people take it up? No, we haven't yet. No, yeah. no. Yeah, so you're hiring <laughs> pretty well at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and look, we have a very, a very intensive recruitment uh, recruitment process. It's, it's about ten stages long. It's it's you know obviously like culture fit is an absolute mandatory, yeah. but it's also very simulation based. So by the time people get to the end of the process, if they're still in by the end of the process, they've had a very realistic job preview. Like they've essentially undergone simulations for most mm. components of what they'd be doing in their role, which, you know, the feedback that we get, and we get this feedback, um, you know, even from candidates who are not successful, is that it just gave me a really good sense of what Inventium is, and, and I felt like with all the information that you had, you were actually in the best position to judge whether I would be a, a good, you know, a, a good fit here or not. So, yeah, yeah we, um, and, and look, we, we measure candidate experience as well for us. It's super important that you know, like candidates are treated as humans um, as totally. opposed to just numbers as I think they're treated in a lot of places. Yeah, the, I mean, you probably end up working with a lot of your candidates eventually as well. Yeah, you know? some, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I love that example because um, I've been through my own uh, sequence of interview processes in my life and recently I've gone through a couple and one of them seemed very traditional even though I thought it was quite a progressive organization and the other was quite a yeah quite a different uh, more role-playing more engaging uh, recruitment process so that's I love how you're doing that here that you're applying that to recruitment an area that seems to have not changed a lot in the I guess in the 20 years that I've been working anyway yeah definitely definitely yeah, yeah. The space that you've got here too, you, you, uh, you referred to it a little bit earlier, how you had applied a lot of your scientific principles to the design mm. of the physical space. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, my observations are that it's a bright, happy, I love the high ceilings, I love mm. the paint work that you've got here. Okay. 
talk about some of the principles that you've got in applying the implying innovation to the design of your office yeah yeah sure so within our office we've i guess it's it's divided into a few sections so we've got a, a big area um of of open plan working and essentially that area is made up of two very long communal desks which we got custom made out of recycled wood which um which we all think are quite beautiful uh we've got a big space that we call the odd one out, which is a space that we hire out to organisations that are looking for a, a creative workshop venue um, or a creative venue for, for the next event. So it's it's kind of, it's about sort of 90 square metres, you know, 30 people cabaret style, 100 people theatre style, that, that kind of size. Yeah. And then we've got like a kitchen area and um, the, a meeting room and, and that kind of thing and some casual casual meeting spaces. So. That's, that's overall the design of it. Some of the principles that we used um, uh, are thinking very carefully about the, the colour scheme. So certainly in the research, there's, there's been a lot of really interesting research conducted into which colours are conducive to creative thought. And there's certainly evidence to show that warmer colours like reds and yellows and oranges are great for creative thought. Hence, you know, we're sitting in a meeting room here with red chairs and uh, this kind of like red and, and yellow and black graffiti on the wall um, but but then also there's been some other colors like green for example is also really great at, at driving innovation um, likewise the natural environment is really important so if you're not in the position where you can have a beautiful view over parklands um, you know which is certainly not our office we um, you know we've got a view into some other kind of um, shabby chic buildings here on Flinders Lane uh, it's really important to bring the natural environment inside so we've got an abundance of plant life in the office which uh, which has been shown to have all sorts of benefits from increased uh, productivity through to making people feel more calm and relaxed as opposed to stressed and certainly an increase in creative thinking ability as well so that's a really important principle. Um, and then in the, uh, in the odd one out, and this also features in some of the other spaces as well, there's, there's been really interesting research to show that uh, like um, academics term it deviant images, which is like not, not what you're thinking, um, but, but things like where there's like an odd one out theme visually or like picture of a punk or, or you know, something that's like demonstrate rule breaking I guess where just by looking at deviant images for a couple of minutes it's enough to significantly shift our brain into a more creative gear yeah, wow. so we take that into account with the design like in our in our um, odd one out room we've got uh, the, the majority of chairs are um, uh, black and then we've got a few yellow chairs interspersed um, to sort of just uh, have that sort of odd one out principle in place. Same with the tables uh, and even just the, the sort of the graffiti motif, if you like, that we went with, uh, you know, graffiti itself is sort of quite deviant, if you like. So sort of that principle is in play in a lot of areas. And then we know that exposing yourself to a really diverse range of stimulus and experiences and knowledge is great for creativity. And so, You'll, you'll notice like we're sitting in a room here in our, in our main boardroom where we've got a little bit of graffiti on the wall in here and all the graffiti is based on facts uh, and research findings that, that we literally spent days, um, if not weeks, finding <laughs> uh, to, to think about let's put some really cool and interesting things up on the wall so that particularly for workshop participants um, and even just for visitors to our office like people 
spend ages just like reading what's on the walls and there's really um, cool and interesting stuff. So, so that's some of the principles that, that we, um, we've applied. Probably the main problems that we've run into is that um, we're, we've been a really fast growing business and we're, like, we're, we're a year and a half in to, to being in this space, but from a, a space perspective, it feels like we're pretty close to outgrowing it. So yeah. we're just kind of figuring out like what, what do, we, what do we do next? Because um, I must say we all love it here. Like it's yeah. it's beautiful. There's lots of natural light. We've got like four meter high ceilings. Yeah. It's like it's a rare find in the CBD of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, it is. I guess that um, it could be a little bit exciting as well. Maybe there's some things that you've thought about improving on this space too that you mm. could uh, create in a new space. Yeah, yeah. Look, if we could do it again, we would have more quiet areas. So, so definitely that uh, on, on Mondays and Fridays, most people are in on Mondays and Fridays, it's a very noisy office environment, yeah. which works for some and doesn't work for others. And yeah, meeting spaces are definitely uh, at a bit of a shortage here. So there are definitely things in the design that we go, oh, we would have done that differently. We'd do that differently next time. There's, you know, there's so many learnings that we yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a co-working space in Thornbury that I like going to every now and then called Nest and the guy there, Jay, spent a lot of time observing co-working spaces around the world and particularly the acoustics of those spaces mm. so the space that he is in has it's probably the most uh acoustically designed space i've ever been in just the different woods that he's got on the walls and it's all open plan and very much an open plan co-working space but um yeah i thought that i've never thought about the acoustics of a space and how that can uh you know stimulate or inhibit your creativity as yeah, well. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It doesn't get given enough thought, and uh, yeah, we definitely did give it some thought, but we would give it a lot more thought for the next space. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, when you personally get stuck or find yourself getting into loops or stuck on a problem or an innovation, is there a little is there a little thing that you do to trigger yourself out of it, or things mm. that you can um, suggest that people do to trigger themselves out of it? Yeah, sure. So. I've definitely got a few things that I do. Uh, when I've got a tough problem to solve, what we know from research, and I think you know, most resonate with most people, is that our unconscious mind, so all the stuff that's going on in the back of our brain, uh, is is a very powerful problem solver. So just by consciously acknowledging that, yep, that's a problem that I need to be thinking about, and then just letting it go, the our, our brain will be working in the background trying to solve that problem. Uh, so, so, so I, I do that a lot and then sometimes I'll sort of, you know, like, I mean, and that's why like we, we get sort of, you know, sparks of brilliance, like when we're in the shower or, you know, three in the morning, like just when we're not thinking about something, it's our unconscious mind going, hey, I've got this great idea to solve that problem that we just bring it to your attention at an inopportune time, which just, you <laughs> yeah. know, sort of keeps its moment strangely. Uh, but, but something else I do, so, so for me, Exercise is just a really important ritual in my life. I find that if if I'm not exercising regularly, then just things feel off. I'm not as productive. I'm not feeling as good. Not feeling as happy. Uh, and and so when I exercise, and 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 right now, kind of my my main forms of exercise are either running or doing bar class, which is like a cross between Pilates and yoga and ballet. Um, not that I ever did ballet or any of those, but it just it works for me. Yeah. Um, I'll often like in the back of my mind just be like, okay, like let's maybe process this problem while while I'm doing some exercise. So there's this great research that shows that um, straight after um, 
and, and, and like up to two hours after we've done aerobic exercise where our heart rate's increasing, it actually improves our likelihood of thinking creatively. So there, you know, like there, there are little sort of scientific findings that I just try to incorporate into how I attack different problems. Um, they're just a couple of examples that, that work really well for me. Yeah, that's great. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the work that Inventium does then for its clients. Mm. Yeah, the definition you used earlier about innovation was um, change that adds value. That adds value. Mm. Yeah, and by that definition, I suppose every organisation needs to be an innovative organisation. For a, sure. Yeah. We would absolutely agree with that, but we we don't go out and seek business. We only work with companies that approach us, um, and even then, it's uh, you know. We've, um, you know, often sort of got a, a, a sort of wait time of between two to four months to start projects because we're um, we're busy. We're always recruiting, but we'll never just recruit the wrong people to, to you know take on work that we you know would have otherwise had to say no to. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's um, yeah we only work with companies that are serious <laughs> wow. about innovation, judged by the fact that they're actually taking the time to give us a call and say, hey, can you help? Yeah, so you don't really have a marketing section to the business? You don't no, really need it, yeah. we, we simply don't it's amazing. need it. Yeah, 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 which is great. Yeah. Mm. And what sort of businesses are coming to you? Like where, what's, mm. what size or what uh, stage in their life or what problems are they? What's, what's yeah, yeah. stimulating them to come to you? We, uh, look, our, our heartland is really quite large organisations, large corporates. Um, that's, that's who we do the majority of our work with. Uh, we do work occasionally with sort of mid-sized organisations. We generally to date haven't done that much with small business or startups. Um, we're sort of more across the research around mid to large size companies. Industries varies. Uh, we've, I think we've worked with every industry that's existed. Arguably, anyone needs to innovate and any industry is ripe for disruption if it hasn't been disrupted already. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, like we've, um, you know, certainly like over the last 12 months, we're, we're, we've always got clients in banking and financial services. We're finding that it's an industry that, that by and large, gets the importance of innovation uh, and, and is, is seeking help. Uh, we've done a lot within property and construction over the last couple of years, mm. uh, which has been really interesting. Um, and we're finding that that particular industry uh, more and more are really understanding just how innovation is to, to their future. Yeah. Uh, we've generally got quite a few clients in manufacturing or FMCG or food and beverage companies. Um, there, I mean, you know, the need to innovate there is obvious, and you know, every week at the supermarket we see new innovations. So, so we've you know generally got some of those clients, and um, and then it varies. Like we, we've got a few government organisations that that we work with, departments and government bodies, which is uh, always interesting and you know has its own challenges compared to the private sector. So it's yeah. um it's great. Like it's just there's so much variety, which which I think is you know, why, why you choose to be a consultant as opposed to working internally with a, an organisation, yeah. you know, for, for that great variety that, that you're kind of blessed with when you're um, in consulting. Yeah. Mm. Um, are you able to talk about any specifics for some of those organisations or maybe in general terms? Mm. The one that's coming to mind that I want to ask you about is property and development and real estate. Sure. I'm fascinated by things that are happening around, say, co-working and co-living and... Um, and yeah, just communal living in general. What mm. are you noticing in that sector that's happening? Yeah, look, in terms of speaking about client work, it gets really tricky. Like sure. we work on so much cool stuff, but like, you know, signing a confidentiality agreement is yeah. like a mandatory at the beginning of um, every project. You know, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting how, 
how the physical space is, is really changing. Um, and obviously just the focus on sustainability is really changing as well. And there's so much innovation in terms of different building and construction materials that, that's going around to, to speed up the process, to make the process more environmentally sustainable. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff happening there. Um, yeah, in terms of co-working spaces, gosh, like they're just, they're popping up everywhere. We used to work in a co-working space before we, um, to, sort of like when, when we were a smaller sized team, which worked well then. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting, certainly looking at how even some of our clients are really um, changing to, to how they're like structuring the, the physical environment, if you like, has changed dramatically over the last five years. Yeah, it has. Really different, really different. Yeah, I, like just reflecting on some of the places that I've worked and how, um, like they've been unhealthy places to go to. You know, I've... Yeah. <laughs> I haven't left my desk at lunch. I've, I'm working in, you know, poor lighting, poor seating, poor sitting, mm. uh, poor desk situations and people are generally glum and yeah. I think that's, um, for me... One of the things that excites me is the potential for in a workplace where you go there and at the end of the day, you're actually better off and more well than you were at the start yeah. of the day. You know, that would be the, the pinnacle of a workplace. Yeah, I think. totally, totally. And I just don't think that organisations think about it that much. Like, you know, having gone through the, the, like, the office fit-out process myself, you, you can kind of see how how you just get in this frame of mind where you're thinking about, okay, what's, what's the spend per square metre or what's the cost per employee, for example, and it just gets down to numbers, but it's just the, like, you know, obviously, like, you need to stick to a budget, but it's just, like, what you're saying, like, what's that experience that you're providing? And, you know, 95% of the offices that, that I visit are... And, you know, not necessarily client organisations either. They're, like, they're the same. They're cubicles with fluorescent lighting, not much natural light going on, uh, no colour, all just, you know, beige, mm. grey, like, you know, shades of grey. Uh, and it's just horrible. And I walk through those environments and, I, and it, like, you know, it just makes me really appreciate the, like, this, this working home that, that we've got here and just how special it is, I think. You know, and, and, and I think, you know, a lot of people in the team have made different comments like that because we get exposed to a whole lot of different yeah, workplaces with companies that want to meet with us. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about then you know, when you do go into those spaces um, and you are working on those different clients. In general, you're helping them with the process of innovation, I suppose. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So there are a few main ways that we help. So one is definitely helping them to put in place, place a process for innovation. So a question that I often ask uh, organisations that I meet with is if I were to come in and, and work at your organisation and I had a great idea, what would what would I do with that idea? And if the response is, well, you'd just tell your manager about it, then I go, well, that's pretty dangerous because like a lot of managers, are, like they don't want to challenge the status quo. They will just like go, yeah, we tried that last year and it didn't work or, you know, some, some kind of line like that. Um, so, so that's not great. So we help organisations set up processes that that sit outside the hierarchy of the organization and also make sure mm. that everyone in the company knows what are the big challenges that you want them thinking about because you, you also just don't want ideas for ideas sake because that can create um, like a, a huge, um, like, yeah, a, a huge kind of clog if you like in the process. So, so you wanna make sure people are clear on the challenges. So we help set up processes. Um, we also do a lot of capability building. So 
there's like the media loves to perpetuate the myth that like you're born an innovator or you're not um and if you're not then you know I don't know, go be an accountant. Like, I, and no, I, I said that jokingly, I want my accountant to be very creative. But, um, <laughs> but I, like, we, like, we know from science that it's, it's, very, it's very doable to help someone become a better innovator, no matter where their starting point is. So we do run a lot of training programs for our clients. And then we also do things like helping to, to set innovation strategy, like where should you be focusing your innovation mm. efforts? And... We do things around culture as well. So, so my latest book, The Innovation Formula, is all around the science of how do you create a culture where innovation thrives? Because it's one of the most common questions that we guests ask, like how do you create an innovation culture? So they're the sorts of things that we do with our clients. It seems like you're potentially engaging with multiple levels of the organization as well to implement that kind of thing. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And if we don't have the support of the CEO, then we know that we're not going to be able to have a good impact and we'll generally opt not to work with the organization. So yeah. it's, it's incredibly important that, that we have support from the top down as opposed to just pockets of the organization. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting what you're saying too about a process outside the hierarchy of the organization too. I mean, for me, hierarchy is one of those metaphors that needs to be challenged and dismantled about an organization. It seems to be the overarching metaphor, the way these single lines of communication that we've all got and also very top-down and, and linear. Um, you talked about, talk about what you, for me, like the, the word ecosystem comes to mind much more than hierarchy mm. as something that might be more useful and appealing. But yeah, what do you mean by that process outside the hierarchy? Yeah, I simply mean that you, you don't want the answer to what do you do if you have a great idea to be, you tell your manager, you go up the hierarchy yeah. because you're just, you're taking potluck if you have a manager that supports innovation or if you have one that doesn't. So you need your ideas to be heard by like an independent committee of people, if you like, who are open to innovation and open to hearing new ideas and will give you useful feedback if they don't think that your idea has legs. Yeah. So that's what I mean independent. Like you can't be reliant on just telling your manager. Because yeah. you just, you know, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, that can go very wrong. I think it was an example in your book, one of the businesses you talked about too, was um, people, uh, some organisations where they can come in and have a look the different projects that are going on and then pick mm. the one that is most appealing to them or the part of the business that's yeah. most appealing to them. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. sounds like a fascinating thing too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's from Valve who are, well, they, they make video games and how, how it works if you join Valve is that you're not given a title, you're not given a team, you're just given a desk with wheels and you basically go around like on your first day, your first week and go, what are the different projects that are going on? And you literally wheel your desk over to the project where you think you can add the most value. Uh, so it's a really interesting way of working. And I mean, they've got, they've got several hundred employees. This is not like some 10 person startup. Um, they've, they've been, you know, one of the most successful gaming companies um, yeah. in the world. Yeah. 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 Let me just check time, see how we're going. All right, cool. Going well. Uh, I've got yeah, a few more questions. You're going all right? Yeah. Um, just then, in terms of Melbourne, what do you what do you notice about the culture of Melbourne? About is it a particularly innovative culture or not? Or what are some of the unique things that you see as opposed to other cities around the world? Hmm. It's a hard question to answer. Uh, I'm just thinking what perspective to take. It's funny. I was talking with someone yesterday who um, 
who also does a lot of keynote speaking and and probably how like I experience a, a lot of cities and the vibe to cities is, is through the keynote speaking that I do all around the world. And and this guy was saying to me, he's a Queenslander and he said, yeah, Melbourne audiences, uh, they're, they're always very sort of like uh, reserved and like they don't, you know, laugh out loud. They're not as expressive as like, um, like Sydney or Brisbane audiences who are sort of like have a more kind of extroverted feel and, um, you know, you can you can read their emotions more clearly. Uh, now, which I thought was interesting, and I'm not sure if I uh, agree with him, but I, I, that that observation did did stick with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I, I I always enjoy sort of Melbourne groups and Melbourne audiences, but I also, you know, it could just be familiarity bias. I'm a Melbourneian. I was I was born here. I lived in Sydney for a few years, and find the two cultures incredibly different. Yeah. But I I absolutely love. Melbourne, I just, I think it's, you know, one of the best places on the planet. Uh, I just think it's so, it's so, so interesting and unique and, and the people are, are so kind of, kind of quirky and interesting and, you know, I think don't, don't feel the need to kind of fit into a certain mould like I observe in other cities that I travel to. Uh, and it's just that there's so many interesting pockets of creativity going on, um, and and you know like I think it's interesting because like a lot of a, a lot of sort of like um, Silicon Valley tech companies I know they've they've chosen to set up their Australian home in Melbourne as opposed to Sydney, which I think is quite an interesting move, uh, and I think just goes to show that that they see the value in Melbourne as as being a really creative city with some great creative talent as well. So. Yeah, yeah. my observations on Melbourne. Yeah, yeah that is yeah. encouraging. Just to refer to your book a little bit as well, there's 14 things I think that you mm. outline under a few uh, different areas. Mm. If there was one that you were going to pick out as being the most important thing mm. or the, the thing for people to start with generally. I know you got that, you got a great little um, health check yes, that you yes. got at the start, mm. but just in general, like um, for people that might be listening, like what's... To you know, who might want to be, who might be solopreneurs, or might be starting their own business, or within their own organisation. What's a yeah. great way to start thinking in this way? Yeah, look, I think the the, the first chapter is probably a, a useful one to start with, where I talk about the, the the challenge of challenge, essentially. So, so we know in terms of the strongest drivers of an innovation culture, making sure that at that individual level you feel challenged by the work that you're doing, the projects that you're working on, is a very, very significant predictor of uh, innovation performance. So something to reflect on, and I guess, you know, if, if you're a solopreneur or if you're, if you're working in a team and you don't have management responsibilities, reflecting on the different projects that you're working on and thinking about how, how challenged do you feel by those particular projects? And if the answer is, you're mostly working on projects where you feel like you could just do them with your eyes shut or the like the, the polar opposite where there's just there's too much challenge like you're feeling so stressed you're pulling your hair out kind of thing then that's like neither of those are good scenarios so thinking about how can you work with your manager or you know with yourself if you're if you're a one-man band to think how can you find that optimal level of challenge and if you do have management responsibilities thinking about how you go about delegating projects and tasks to your team. Like most managers, the first question that they ask is, who's got capacity to work on this? But a really important question to a company that is who would feel a good sense of challenge from mm. this project as well? So, so that would sort of be my initial like 
go-to advice for, for, for an individual or you know, a manager as well? Yeah, I think that's a great question for a manager to be asking. Who would feel the right amount of challenge for this task? Yeah, yeah I don't think that's ever entered my mind. <laughs> Normally it's about, you know, who could do this the fastest yeah, right? or absolutely. the most efficiently. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, which normally means they'll probably feel quite bored by it if they could do it so quickly and efficiently. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And therefore you won't get an innovative solution at the end of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, is there one example, you know, without perhaps mentioning names that you can talk about where you've come into an organisation and brought about, like what's the most memorable turnaround or thing that you've stimulated within that organisation? Yeah, uh, I think um, one organisation that we've worked with for, for quite a, a few years is Coca-Cola Amatil. Uh, and I remember some of the early work that we did there. We were just working with a group of about 20 innovation champions and then there was another team, the operational excellence team. So it's a total of about 40 people. And I remember like just, an, and we just run like a, a simple one day innovation training program with both groups. And then I remember meeting up with, with Derek O'Donnell, who's someone who I mentioned in the book, he, he was kind of like their executive sponsor of innovation, of their innovation program in, in its sort of its earlier years. and. I remember catching up with him like a couple of months after the training and he said, like, I don't know if you know this, but since you're training, like hundreds of people are using your tools. It has just spread like wildfire. And 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 for me, like, just thought, wow, that like that's the coolest thing to just be in there like directly touching like a group of, of forty people, certainly less than forty people, and then within a couple of months, hundreds of people are, have like have adopted our approach to innovation, which I just thought was like really cool. I mean, you know, there's like plenty of examples I can talk about, but that one happened a few years ago and it really stuck with me. It was, you know, in the early days of Inventium as well. And I just thought, wow, that's amazing. We, you know, we were able to influence all that change, like yeah. without even speaking to a lot of these people. Yeah. So I thought that was quite cool. Mm. Yeah. When, I, when people start becoming evangelists for the ideas you've planted, that's a really exciting moment, mm. I guess. It really yeah. is. Yeah. 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 There's a couple of questions I've got just as we start to wrap up now. Uh, the first one's about um, outside of, I suppose, innovation and creating innovative cultures. Mm. Is there a disruption that you'd like to be part of one day that you daydream about or, you mm. know, speculate about? Yeah. Look, something that we're working on at the moment is at Inventium is, is looking at the education sector and, you know, so, something that... That, that, we're, that we want to do is thinking about how, how can we take all these tools that, that we use in you know, some of the world's biggest companies to help them innovate more effectively, how can we teach that to the, the, the future entrepreneurs of this world, like high school age students, mm. um, and get that knowledge there? Because for the most part, like schools, rather than teaching creativity and innovation, they, like, they knock it out of you through such a structured curriculum. So. I, I would love to see that disrupted and I would love to be part of that and thinking about how, how can we actually make that part of what young people learn, that they actually learn to be innovators rather than just learning how to memorise facts. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. That would be really cool. There's that mm. great TED talk by Ken Robinson. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, amazing. how schools kill creativity, I think it's mm, called. Mm. And I think he talks a, a bit about body movement and dance and mm -hmm. uh, artistic expression and those yep. kind of things. Have you got any particular ideas or is it just something that you've 
speculated about. We're, yeah, we're, we're actually um, we're, we've actually got an ideation session on it in uh, right. in a couple of weeks' time. So yeah, we've done a lot of research, a lot of talking to students and teachers and parents, uh, and yeah, we've got like a pretty clear idea of where we want to focus our our uh, ID generation efforts. So that's kind of where we're up for two in the process. Uh, that's really exciting. I look mm. forward to, man, hopefully you can do that because my kids have just yeah. started school too. So oh, wow. I've got a bit of a vested interest <laughs> in that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, and finally, what's a subtle thing, a subtle change that you've made in your own life that's enabled you to be where you are today? Hmm. Subtle change. I, uh, I did this... Uh, I did this psych profile. So being a psychologist, like I, you know, quite enjoy like learning about different psychometric tools. And I did one a little while ago. And one of the things that it labelled me as uh, is, is a time optimizer, and that really rang true to me. Uh, I think to to sort of to, to run your own business plus like have a social life outside of that plus you know have have a family that you're investing time and energy into. I've got like a, um, a husband and a young girl who's been over two, Frankie. Um, uh, like it, it, like it takes balancing, and it, and I feel like it takes like incredible efficiency doing things to be able to function really well in in all those sort of different roles and environments. And so, for me, I think like I'm I like I'm a little bit obsessed with like. Um, technology and, and software and kind of going what's like what what are like really cool things that will make a small difference but will actually make a big difference like for example um while, while i have um profiles like on all the major social media channels i i can't stand facebook i think you know facebook is just designed to make people miserable by scrolling through and looking at all the amazing things and holiday destinations that everyone is doing and oh my god your life is so crap in comparison you know same with instagram and everyone's you know holiday shots and so i just think that's just that's just silly like why would i waste time you know seeing what other people are just kind of posting to show off about yeah. um and and so instead but like but it's hard to break that habit like you know when i was on facebook it's like you know you check it several times a day on your phone and i thought well I need something else to break that habit, but something that will add value to my life rather than detract from it. And so uh, there's a great little app called Pocket. I don't know if you've come across Pocket, but uh, it's a really simple app. Uh, I think it's quite popular now where you install it like on your internet browser and on your mobile. And anytime you see an article that's, that, that you know you see on the internet or it's, it's sent to you, when often like you don't have time to read it, then you can save it to Pocket and then you can go read it on your mobile in Pocket. So just at oh. odd times, like when, when I'm brushing my teeth, for example, I make sure I brush my teeth for, for two minutes because that's what you're meant to do. And so that's two minutes, like where I could either scroll mindlessly through Facebook or I could learn something really interesting and new that I wanted to read earlier. So I'll hop onto Pocket when I'm brushing my teeth. So it's just little things like that that I think help me optimize time better and, and make me be like a more productive and effective person. Yeah, mm. I think that's a great tip. Amantha, so good to be talking to you today. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.